0: Now I invite you to turn to the book of Job because that's where I'm going to be reading this morning from the first chapter. And uh, beginning at verse one of Job one, I'm going to read through verse 11. Job chapter one, verse one. Now there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, his birthday. And they would send and invite their three daughters, sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about when the days of feasting had completed their cycle that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse thee to thy face. The devil thinks that any man who serves the Lord is foolish. He's a fool. He can't understand why anybody would love God and serve God, worship God, and he's suspicious of any man who does. And so he's constantly uh, working to cast doubt on the motive of any man who who would serve the Lord. And that's what's happening here in this story. It's a strange story, just to be honest with you. One day God is there and all the sons of God are together and Satan shows up in their midst and God asks him, where have you been? And he said, well, I've been walking up and down the earth. There's, there's aggression in the Hebrew word there. It means I've been um, pacing up and down with anger and, and aggression like a, like a roaring lion. And God said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And God brings Job up to the conversation. Now, for a long time, I hadn't really noticed that it was God who brought Job up. It wasn't Satan, and, and, and Job's problems all began when God started bragging on him. You know, said, have you considered my servant Job? He's the greatest man in all the world. And Satan said, oh, well, sure he is. But said, you know why Job serves you? It's because you pay well. I mean, the, pay, the wages are, are good. That's the only reason why Job serves you is because all these blessings that you give him. What about that hedge you've put around him? Which proves that, that Satan had considered Job as he knew about that hedge. He'd been trying to get through it and get to Job for years. Probably had a file on him, you know, like he has on all of us. Sure, you, you know, he serves you because he knows that you pay the best wages. You got this hedge around him. You took that hedge out. You, he serves you because you favor him. That's why he's doing it. You don't think that, that Job serves you because he loves you, do you? You're, not, you're, you're a fool. He's, he's making a fool out of you, God. You take away all those privileges and all those blessings and see if he serves you then. Uh, uh, God, look at this. Uh, yeah. Will a man serve God for nothing? Now that's a big question. In fact, that's really the theme of this book. The theme of the book of Job is not, why do the righteous suffer? The theme of the book of Job is, why do men serve God? Why do you serve Him? Do you serve Him just because you love Him? Or are you afraid that you won't get His blessings if you don't? I mean, I think God will bless me if I serve Him. Don't you? I'm serious. Don't don't you think that if you serve God, He's going to bless you? I, I think that. But what if He doesn't? And I've said, you know, and I've heard preachers say that, you know, if you if you give your tenth tithe to the Lord, He'll bless you. He's going to bring blessings into your life. I've said that a lot of times. And I think, don't you think that? That if you give you a tithe, that God will bless you? And I've said that that, that if you give a tithe of your income to the Lord, He'll help you to get, get you know, it'll go farther the 90% than the 100%. You know, I've said that, but but what if He doesn't? You see, you going to give anyway? A few months ago when they came out with this new tax law, everybody got, you know, frightened about the fact that that when you, you know, give uh, benevolent gifts that you might not get as much tax deduction. And a lot of rumors been flying around about that all along. And well, I heard a preacher say, Well, that, you know, that's gonna ruin the church. Nobody's gonna give if they don't get a tax deduction. And I thought then, if that ruins the church, the church ought to be ruined. You know. I believe you get, ought to get all the credit you can get. And, and I, 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 I do that. I, in fact, I'd like to get, you know. if you know some extra ways to get credit, I, I'll take that information. I believe that, but, but what if all of the benefits were removed? What if the hedge is gone? And what if serving God doesn't get anything in return? You're going to serve Him anyway. Will a man serve God for nothing? Now you'll notice that the first three chapters of the book of Job are dedicated to the description of Job's character. And what God is doing here is he's setting us up to see, showing us that this is the kind of man that God desires every man to be. I mean, Job is, this is not just his story. He he represents every man. And what every man desires down deep in his heart of hearts that he would be, he'd he'd like to be like, what what he's showing us here is what God wants every man to be like, a man who will serve God for nothing. Now, three questions. Will a man serve God when he is immersed in suffering? Notice what Satan said. He said, Put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. Now, what Satan is saying is this that you can't really test a man's love for God by prosperity. The way you really test a man's love for God is to allow suffering to come into his life. I think that's right. I think that really our love for God is really not tested until suffering comes, until we are immersed in the crucibles of trouble and suffering. And when our faith is found there, it is an unshakable faith. Now, you need to understand that in Job's day, there was this prevailing philosophy Physical prosperity, physical blessing, a sign of God's blessing. In fact, I don't think you can really understand the Old Testament, interpret it correctly, unless you understand this, that the Old Testament talks about salvation more in terms of material and physical blessing than it does spiritual blessing. And the New Testament talks about spiritual blessings. So in the Old Testament, you won't find much talk about heaven and spiritual blessings and eternal life. What the Old Testament talks about is this, that when a man is righteous, when a man is right with God, the proof of that, the evidence of that, is physical and material prosperity. Physical, material wealth and prosperity, a sign of God's blessing. No wonder when the... Friends of Job came to him. Now, uh, I, I think that it was from those men that this saying originated. With friends like these, you don't need enemies. Now, if this wasn't so tragic, it would be humorous. I want you to see these guys came and, and the scripture says that they, they squatted down on their haunches and they pulled their robes around them and, and, and they just squatted there and they just stared at Job for, for, for days. Now that must have been a real blessing. Here's a guy with sores from the head, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet and his friends, quote, unquote, have come and they just squat down and they just stare at him. They didn't want to make any hasty decisions. They didn't want to come to any hasty conclusions. And so they thought about it a long time and finally they said, we've reached the verdict, Job. We've come to this conclusion. You're not right with God. For material prosperity is a sign of God's blessings, and the absence of it is the sign of God's anger. For if you were really right with God, everything would be fine. Now, that's an Old Testament philosophy. We haven't come far from that, have we? This is yes, this is no. I mean, we haven't come far from that, I've, I think. Don't you think that if you serve God, that he need, he, he des- you deserve a little special consideration? Don't you think that? I mean, if you serve God, don't you think you ought to, he ought to cut you at least a little slack? I mean, from the guy down the street who, who hates God and curses God and denies God and forgets God, and here you are just serving the Lord. Don't you think he, he, he you know, do you deserve a little special consideration? You know, you may sit there, look pious, but that's what you think. That's what I think. I mean, I, I, he ought to give me a little consideration. Isn't it amazing, the things you remember from your childhood? I remember when I was about in third grade, they invented bubble gum. Now, I, that'll tell you how old I am. I was pre-bubble gum. Now, now they, they, they may have had bubble gum, but it never, it, I mean, they may have invented it 50 years before, but it just, it just got to Monday, Texas, when I was in about the third grade. Fleer's bubble gum, you remember that? And, and some of my friends had bubble gum and they were blowing these bubbles and I'd never seen that. And I, I asked them, where'd you get that bubble gum? And they said, well, we got it over at Gray's Grocery. Now Gray's Grocery was this little grocery store right across the street from the campus, the school where I went. And I never did go over there, I drove rode the bus and so I didn't have that much time to, but I wanted some of that bubble gum. So I went over to Gray's Grocery and Ms. Gray was there and I asked for some bubble gum. She said, I don't have any. And I said, well, my friends got bubble gum here. They said they got it here at Gray's Grocery. And she said, well, those are my regular customers. And and for the first time, I was introduced to discrimination. <laughs> you know, those are my regular customers. And she had this bubble gum saved back for these regular customers. I, I think, you know, that sounds fair. <laughs> I mean, you'd want to do that, wouldn't you? Isn't that the way it works? Isn't it? Isn't it? Doesn't it seem like that if you're his regular customer, he ought to give you a few advantages? That, that sounds right, doesn't it? I mean, he ought to give us a little bit of an edge on life. I mean, it says that it rains on the just and the unjust, but, but surely he's gonna let it rain a little bit more on my part's lawn than the neighbors down the street who doesn't love the Lord. Doesn't that make sense? Sure you believe that. That was the problem of Psalm 73. And the psalmist said, I looked around, I saw all these wicked people prosper. He said, well, I washed my hands in vain. You know what he meant? He said, I got safe for nothing. I mean, what good did it do me? Now watch this carefully. The devil is saying to God, the way you test the love of a man is not with prosperity. The way you test the love of a man is with suffering. And I think it might be true that the only way you and I will ever know if God is really the source of our joy is by the process of elimination. There's so many things that make me happy. I'm not sure what makes me happy. And I guess the only thing that really, really would, would, would prove whether or not God is really the source of all my joy is just to one by one eliminate these things that make me happy. Process elimination. Will a man serve God when he's immersed in suffering? Secondly, will a man serve God when he's forsaken by his friends? Now, Job's wife said to him, said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, I I take that to mean, why don't you just curse God and he'll get mad at you and kill you and you'll get out of your misery? It's great to have a wife with that kind of encouragement. You know? And 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 here was his friends and they came and they squatted down and they looked at him a while and they drew the bottom line and they said, you're a sinner boy and you don't belong with us. I mean, you can just see the division happening. And here is Job over here and here's his wife and his friends over here. And all of a sudden Job is forsaken by everybody. That's terrible suffering. I suppose one of the greatest sufferings in life is the the loss of friends. I don't know whether you can really be a Christian or not. I mean, really really experience what being a Christian means all by yourself. I don't know whether you can do that all by yourself or not. I I guess that's why you'll find the word saints in the New Testament never in the singular. You'll never find that word in the singular, it's always in the plural. And so in Ephesians chapter three, it says that you may comprehend with all the saints what is the height and depth and breadth and length of the love of God, etc. What he's saying here is this, that you're not gonna really fully comprehend or understand the love of God without the corporate fellowship and encouragement of the saints. You can't be, you can't experience the love of God, the fullness of it by yourself. But what if that encouragement is gone? Paul said, everyone has forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Elijah the Tishbite said, I'm the only one didn't bow his knee to Baal. Well, there were 7,000 more, but he didn't know it. And when you don't know it, you might as well be the only one. When John Wesley, by the way, he died broke when he preached, there was somebody out in the crowd heckling him every time. You know who it was? It was his wife. That'll bless you. Poor guy gets up to preach, and his wife out there in the crowd heckling him. Now I need encouragement. I, I need the encouragement and the love and the fellowship of, a, of these men and of and you, but what if someday it's gone? W- will you serve God then? Young people, listen to me. If all of a sudden the convictions you hold are convictions that you have alone and everybody in your world refuses to share your convictions, will you still have the same convictions? When I became a Christian, it was easy to do that. My mother and father were Christians. Everybody in my Sunday school class was a Christian. My teacher reminded me of that. Everybody in my world was a Christian until I came and kind of moved into late middle school and high school. And all of a sudden I discovered that if I I was gonna be a Christian, I might have to be one by myself. I'll tell you, that changes things because the pressure, the pressure to be accepted, the pressure to have the approval of others is terrific. It's terrific. Will a man serve God when he has to serve him alone? Guys, was talking about this preacher who quit the ministry, just quit, left, split. Somebody said, you know, what happened to him? He was, he was blowing and going. And the guy said, well, he had a bad experience. My question is, whoever said he wouldn't have a bad experience. I can, imagine my imagination, I can see the Lord Jesus arriving in heaven early, you know, before his work is finished. And the angels are astounded that he's there early and they say, well, what are you doing here so early? And and the Lord says, well, I had a bad experience down there. (laughs) Will you serve God when you serve him alone? Ah, what a question. Everybody has to answer. Everybody needs to answer that question. Finally, will you serve God when God is silent? Now, I think that I would serve God when immersed in suffering. I think that I would serve God when I serve Him alone if God can give me some reasons some explanations, some whys. You know, I think we can take anything as long as God will tell us why. You ever notice that? I think that we can endure just about anything as long as God will explain why. But when you're hanging out on that cross in the hot sunlight of the noonday, crying, my God, why? And He doesn't answer you. That's a different matter. What if you have no whys, no answers? When I was pastor of Fort Worth, big church over there, I went back to my hometown to preach a revival. Small town boy coming home, doing good. Man, I hit town, flaming evangelist, and I started a series of sermons in the noontime on prayer. I had all the answers. Man, I was on a roll. Little old ladies who loved me when I was a smart-aleck kid, loved me when I was a smart-aleck adult. They still love me. I mean, I was, I had all the answers. I mean, I was overwhelming them. I had these pat answers and formulas to how you could get answers to every prayer. Man, they were eating it up. I was on a roll. I was standing with my mother, went home one afternoon, walked in the door. She was crying. My, my, my brother was killed in the war, D-Day. SHE STARTED IN, I KNEW WHAT SHE WAS AFTER. SHE SAID, YOU KNOW, WHEN RALPH WENT AWAY TO WAR, 18-YEAR-OLD BOY, INNOCENT, never did, his, he NEVER DID ANYTHING WRONG. I PRAYED THAT GOD WOULD SPARE HIS LIFE AND PUT A HEDGE ABOUT HIM AND PROTECT HIM. GOD DIDN'T ANSWER MY PRAYER, SHE SAID. "So SAID, WHAT DID I DO WRONG? SHE SAID, what, WHERE HAVE I BEEN WRONG? I SAID, WELL, MOTHER, YOU did not DO ANYTHING WRONG. SHE SAID, WELL, IN LIGHT OF, of THESE LESSONS ON PRAYER, Can you tell me why? Now, I wasn't any longer on a roll, I promise you that. I don't have any answers to that. Will a man serve God when God is silent? Now, I want you to turn quietly to the 38th chapter of the book of Job. Because God finally speaks. He finally speaks. The 38 chapter. Now what you need to do is when you get home today, sometime you just need to get off by yourself and you need to read the rest of this book from chapter 38, because God speaks. Now watch this, listen, when God finally speaks, He doesn't give answers to Job. That's an amazing thing. But when when he finally speaks, he doesn't give answers. He gives reassurance of his own greatness. I want you to underline that thought. When he finally speaks, he doesn't give answers. He gives reassurance of his own greatness. That's the most important thing. Now, if you have some whys and you have no answers for those whys, I want you to remember three things. I want you to remember that God has a right, God has a reason, God has a reward. That's what I'm going to show you right here in the concluding moments. When He finally spoke, you see, when you fi- what's this? When you hear from God, He's not going to necessarily give you answers. What He's going to do is give you the right questions. He's going to help you to rephrase the question. See. That's what he does in this. Now notice what he says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this doing all this questioning? Now this is a tidal paraphrase. you it's really a loose translation. You won't find it in the living Bible, even, but, but you, you just watch this. He, and, and, and verse 2, he says, Now gird up your loins, loins like a man. He said, Fasten your seatbelt, Job, because I'm fixing to do some questions, ask some questions of my own. Get ready for this, big guy. You've been talking about questioning me? Well, look what he says. He said, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. Speak up, loud mouth. Loose translation. You've been you've been instructing your friends, and you've been instructing me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Well, you, come on. He said, "What is the measurement, since you know, or that stretches the line of it?" You know, look at verse. Uh, Get down verse 16. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Verse 34, just skipping around, he says, can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water may cover you? In other words, Job, I got a right to do whatever I want to do because I'm God. See? Now, Spurgeon was right, I think, when he said, if you can't trace God's hand, you can trust his heart. I think that if you can get over this hurdle and I can get over this hurdle, we're halfway, to the, we're halfway home. And that is this, to believe and to understand that God has a right to do whatever God wants to do. He's got that right. He laid the foundation of the earth. He, he's, he stretched out the skies. He, he gives it rain. I mean, it's his. He can do whatever he wants to. See, He's got a right to do whatever he wants. If you want to turn to chapter 42, he's got a reason. Look at this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. What is this purpose he's talking about? What is the reason that all of this has happened the way it's happened? We'll go back to what I said in the beginning. What is the theme of this book? The theme of this book, why do men serve God? Now, the Satan told God, he said, the reason why men serve you is because you pay the best wages. You, they serve you because you bless them. They make a fool out of you, God. You, they make you look foolish because they serve you and you think it's because they love you. They, they're doing that because what they can get out of you. And the purpose of this book and the battle through the Bible is this, that there are men, there are men who will serve God for what he is. And the purpose of all of this, he's saying, that cannot be fraud is this, that I'm going to show you, and Job is exhibit A, that there are men who will serve me for nothing. And that purpose will not be frauded. There are some men, there are men, there are men left. There are some who will serve God just for God. Now, Job said... I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. Next verse, he said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the my but now I and I seeth thee, and I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, what he was saying is this. What he was saying is this. I repent of the fact that I've asked you all these questions. <laughs> I abhor the fact that I've questioned you. Now watch this carefully. The closer you get to God, the less answers you'll have to have. And one of the best ways to measure whether or not you're serving God is how much you have to know about what God is doing. I love it. The great, the, one of the greatest measures to know how well you're serving God is how much you have to know about what God's doing. There is a reason. Finally, there is a reward. Now once want you to look back to the first and just put your finger right here on chapter 42 verse 12 now I want you to turn back to chapter 1 verse 3 now the bible says that god restored to job twice as much as he had before now look at it verse 3 said he had 7000 sheep verse 12 of chapter 42 he has 14000 is that I'm not too good at math, but that is double, isn't it? That's twice as much. He had 3,000 camels. He has 6,000 camels. He has 500 yoke of oxen. He has 1,000 yoke of oxen. He had 500 female donkeys. He has 1,000 female donkeys. Isn't it true that he, he gave him twice as much as he had before? But I want you to look at verse 2. And he had seven sons and three daughters. Now I want you to look at verse 13. And he had seven sons and three daughters. He didn't get twice as many sons and daughters the second time. He's probably glad of that to begin with. I mean, 14 kids, you know, 14 sons. He he didn't get twice as much on that. Why? Because he hadn't lost them. They went to heaven. How do I know that? Because the first chapter says that Job himself served as a mediator and offered sacrifices lest his own children sinned against God in their heart. What a picture of a man just like Jesus. And and he'll lose these sons. He'll lose these daughters. They're in heaven. He just got seven sons and three daughters back. Will a man serve God for nothing? I think the fact is this, that when you serve God, you don't lose anything. You never lose anything on God. I hear people talking about what a great sacrifice. It's like Simon Peter. He said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. He said, you haven't left anything. For I'm going to restore 10 times what you had on earth and 10 times what you get in heaven. And so Josiah Holland wrote these words. God, give us men. A time like this demands strong minds, great hearts, true faith, and ready hands. Men whom the lust of office does not kill. Men whom the spoils of office cannot buy. Men who possess opinions and a will. Men who have honor. Men who will not lie. Men who can stand before a demagogue and demand his treacherous fratteries without winking. Tall men, sun-crowned, who live above the fog in public duty and in private thinking. For while the rabble with their thumb-worn creeds, their large professions and their little deeds mingle in selfish strife, lo, freedom weeps. Wrong rules the land, and justice sleeps And so my plea this morning is for men and women who will serve God for nothing. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'll take the stammering, inadequate words of man and mingle together your Holy Spirit word to bring conviction and decision in Jesus' name. Now, there are three invitations. Somebody asked me this week, what do we mean when we give these invitations? This is what we mean. The first invitation is for those of us who have never for the first time repented of the life of sin and by faith received eternal life receive jesus christ as savior and lord a point of time where i turn to him and by faith i put my trust in him alone to be my savior and he calls us to that decision publicly i ask you to get up out of your seat when the invitation begins and come if you've never placed your faith in an act of faith trusted jesus christ to save you from your sin the second invitation is for you to come and join the church now there are ways that we receive members in our church through the transfer of membership promise of letter by statement if you're unsettled unsure about that we'll we'll explain that Or maybe you need to come this morning to say, I need to rededicate myself to Christ. I need to renew my commitment to Him. I've been saved, but I've not been walking with God. And I've had a poor example of witness. I've been a poor witness of Christianity. And I want to repent and rededicate myself. And I'm going to start down the way again. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come. Will you come? Will you come?